0: Welcome, everybody, to church this morning, those of you that are here and those of you that are tuning in online. And, well, how many of you know what verse Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is? Put up your hand. All right, somebody yell it out to me. What? Say it it nice and loud. All things work together for good, right? To those, right? Well, we were supposed to do communion today. And it turns out our communion cups have gone sour. So we're not going to do communion today, even though a lot of my sermon was based on us doing communion today. And do I believe that God is sovereign and he controls our events? Yes, I do. And this is an opportunity for me to live this out. Thank you, Brother Paul, for reading these passages. I want to start actually a mini series within this series. I have been a pastor now for half my life, about 25 years. I've literally preached hundreds, if not in the low thousands of sermons, and I don't think I have ever struggled so much and so long as to grapple with this subject called love. And hopefully as I get through this, you'll understand it. Brother Paul mentioned that I call this series, Conversations with Christ, and The sermon in a sentence for us today is to know this. For those of you who would claim to be Christians, those of you who would say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you need to know this, that loving others is the way that we prove you actually love Jesus. Loving others is the way you actually prove that you love Jesus. And that's what I want to try and lay a foundation for today today. I have three points, but I'm only going to deal with the first point of this sermon and this today, and then next week get into the nitty-gritty of how you and I are supposed to actually love one another, but I think we have a problem with that, and I'll explain it. I had grand ideas of standing up here this morning and doing something like this, love, and yet when I do that, because of my pop culture, I instantly want back to jump back to the prince's bride, and you know, when the priest stands up and says, marriage is what brings us together, I want to lapse into love is what will keep us together. Yes, take it all in. What about this thing called Love. Of all the subjects of humanity, of all history of humanity, we have more love songs and love poems. We have movies and stories about love. We even have a name for them as we call them date movies or even in the vernacular like chick flicks. And we have this ongoing love affair with our love songs and our love stories. And we have songs and we wonder who wrote the book of love And then we ask, what is love? But, oh, baby, don't hurt me, right? For some of you that can remember A Night at the Roxbury. And interestingly, it was one of the most famous rock bands of all the modern era, the Beatles, who penned the song and made the song famous, All We Need Is Love. And I don't know if you noticed, but only a little time after they released it, they then broke up as a band. Bit of irony there, isn't there? Love. Friendship, unity, authenticity. What comes to mind when you hear words like this? What events, what experiences, what emotions, what feelings do you conjure up when you hear things like love, friendship, being unified, being authentic, being real? In the last couple of weeks, we've had an election. I'll try not to sound jaded since we spent over $600 million to find out that not much has changed. But yet, during that five- to six-week campaign of the election, we heard lots of promises, dreams, commitments. We heard lots of slogans. Every party had their slogan. Some had it. uh, Their slogan was, let's come together. Some was, hope for a better tomorrow. And yet all the leaders of all the major parties claimed to be here for you and me that we could trust them that they love Canada. But I wonder if we were to get honest with ourselves and if we got some honest polling how many of us in this country actually believe our government officials when they say that? How many of us actually believes that government works for us that people that run government have our best interests actually in mind, and that they would actually sacrifice themselves or lay down their lives for ours. What do you do with this thing called love? And I know for some of you that have been raised in church like I have, you've gone to countless services and youth groups and Sunday school, maybe some of you even went to Christian schools and Daily vacation, Bible schools, and all that, and we've heard all kinds of sermons and songs and series about how much we need to all love each other, and for good reason. But the one thing that our modern culture has done—mass media and social media—it's—it's it's made us all aware of our need and desire for love, to be loved, to want love, and yet. The opposite is also true. Mass media and social media has also made us suspicious and cynical and exposed to us all the lies, all the hypocrisies. And so we don't believe in love. We find ourselves doubting love all the time. Or we protect ourselves. Or we've cheapened the meaning of love to Hollywood movies that love is nothing more than feelings nothing more than affirmation. I think the anthem of today's culture, and all of you young people, let me, know, let me tell you this. Here is the world's anthem of love today. If you loved me, you would let me be and do whatever I want to do. And you certainly wouldn't tell me if my behavior is wrong. That's the anthem of the culture today. And herein lies a bit of the dilemma I have as a pastor When faced with the challenge of preaching God's word on how we are to love each other. Because every single one of us, me included, come to the word of God and we read about this thing called love. And every one of us carries our experiences, our hearts, our dreams, our expectations, our definitions, our understanding, our feelings into this world that we call love. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me here this morning. Every single man and woman here, from the youngest of you to the oldest, every man and woman watching us online from the youngest to the oldest, every one of us need and wants to be loved. We crave it. Whether you're in a position yet in your life to admit it, to own it, to acknowledge it, we all desire and crave and need to be loved. You know why we are so desperate to be loved? It's because you're made in the image of God. The Bible tells us that God is love. You see, you and I are not love. We can try and do things loving We can try and act in a loving way, but God is love. Everything He does is loving. He is never not love. And yet, here is the issue it's because we are all longing for love, and we're all looking for love, and we all need love, and we tend to hear sermons about love and think, well, who will love me? That's our default. Who's gonna love me? Somebody else needs to do what the preacher is saying. So we tend to hear sermons about love and we read scripture about love and we think, yes, if my spouse would love me like this, if my pastor would love me like this, if my friends would love me like this, if my church would love me like this, if my parents had loved me like this or my brother or my sister or my brother-in-law or my sister-in-law, we desperately want to be loved. So we automatically assume and project when we hear all these things about love, That means it's for somebody else. Instead of sitting here and realizing, no, this is for me. A couple of weeks ago, Brother Steve was preaching through that Old Testament book, Amos. And he made reference to a movie, a Jerry Maguire movie, in which one of the famous lines in this about love between the two main characters. And the person says, you complete me. And if I sounded a bit sarcastic, for those of you that are like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory, I am being sarcastic. As if any human being could ever complete another human being. I want you to know that. Everybody here, there is no human being that will complete you. And this is why we struggle with the command of Jesus and why we struggle with what is love, who defines it, who is responsible for it. Because it's also what we need Because we need love. In fact, our need of love is what drives us to do the things we do. And this brings me to the second challenge of our understanding of Jesus. Because let me ask you all here this morning. In a moment of quiet and meditation, looking inward, let me ask you. How loved do you feel right now by Jesus? How loved do you feel that you're loved by Jesus? Or how real is Jesus' love for you? How much of your day is lived in that truth? How much does the reality that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. How much does that affect your life and your relationships? You see, I need you to know this. I can't, we can't complete anybody. But we can all look to the one who does, we can reflect Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one and the only one who can complete us. We can't be Jesus. Remember when Curtis preached this sermon a little while ago, and he said something that I was proud of him for saying. He said, Celeste can make a great girlfriend, but she's a lousy savior. I've known my wife since I was five years old. Many of you know this. We started dating at 16. I married her at 20. We've been married now for 29, over 29 years. She is one of the great gifts from God to me, but she is a lousy savior. And she cannot complete me no matter how hard she tries. And no matter how desperately I want to, I will never complete her. But you know what we can do? We can point each other to Jesus Christ who can and does complete us. This is what we can do. We need to be more like the moon that reflects the light of the sun. The moon will never be the sun, but every time we look at the moon at night and we're reminded of the infinite size of the universe and the power of the night sky, and you realize that somewhere the sun is shining in the center of our universe because that's the only way the moon has light. It must reflect the sun. And you need to listen to me now. Loving others is the way we prove... Not only that you actually love Jesus, but loving others is the way you actually prove you believe Jesus loves you. If you want to know what I believe our problem is at Calvary Baptist Church, what our problem is in evangelical churches of St. John's, of Newfoundland, of Canada, around the world, it's not that we need to tell people and yell at people and, and, and promote loving each other more. The Beatles did have it right. All we need is Love. But our problem in our culture is, and so many of you are looking at me, you don't really know and you don't really believe that Jesus loves you. And you don't know and understand the depth of which he loves you. And I hope that by the time we leave here, you will have a tiny glimpse Of just how much Jesus loves you. Because when you grasp that, when that becomes not just something you believe intellectually, but something that carries you through life, good, bad, up, down, indifferent, blessing, cursing, all these things. We love to sing, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? About Job. But remember... He gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. What drove Job to say that was he understood and he owned and he lived in the reality that God loves me. And when you and I believe that, the rest of this commandment to love each other will actually be way easier than you think. The basic fruit in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, as we started John chapter 15 and Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, the basic fruit of the branches grow in the vine is love, love from Jesus, love for Jesus, and from that it fuels, which I'm going to talk about next Sunday, our love for each other. So I'm begging you to go on this journey with me take this journey. We're going to celebrate, or we were going to celebrate communion today. Lord willing, we'll be able to do it next Sunday if God tarries, and we can find access to the materials we need. But let me ask you this, observing it today or not, what is communion? Even by the word itself, by the very definition, communion. Communion with who? This is the problem. I think when we come to the Lord's table, we give thanks to Jesus We praise Him, and we worship Him, and we do this by faith and with hope that one day we will celebrate and eat it with Him, where He'll be in our physical sight. But we do this communion in communion with each other. We're in a community Think of all the English words that we have, a commune. It's meant to be communal. So communion isn't just you and your little wafer and your little bit of grape juice and God. That's the opposite of communion. Communion in a church should be celebratory. It should be the greatest aspect of something we can do because we're actually doing it together where we're celebrating that the God who loves me also loves all of you. And you see, the problem that you and I so often have is we don't really understand just how much God loves us. So if I'm right, and that scriptures actually teach that our love for God shows itself in our love of others, then it means that we've got to be honest, doesn't it? You've got to own something about your view of God's love. Because if I was going to sum it up, if I ever asked you, Do you love so and so? And your answer is, ah, I don't know, they're not easy to love. I don't know, you don't know what they've done to me. I don't know, you don't know what they've said. Okay, now turn that around about your relationship with Jesus. Because we would claim that Jesus loves us, but what have we done to Jesus? Jesus loves us, but what have we said to Jesus and about Jesus? Jesus loves us, And how many times have we argued with him, broken promises to him, not trusted him, abandoned him, blamed him, got angry at him, and yet the Bible has one consistent answer to all of that. Jesus still loves you, always has, always will. So, I have one point for you this morning. And I was hoping from that one point that we'd go right into communion. But this morning, I have one point, and then we're going to go right to a song. (laughs) And that's this if you go out with nothing, go out with this Jesus Christ is our example of love. Do you want to know who wrote the book of love? Jesus did, it's the Bible. What is love? Jesus will tell you because he is love. And so we need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Is there a greater example of love than that of Jesus Christ? Brother Paul read it. Look back again at John chapter 13, verse 1. This has become, as I've studied through the Gospel of John, probably one of my favorite verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, own that for you personally. Jesus has loved you as we're in this world and he will love you to the end, no matter what your life is no matter where you're at, Some of you are trying to get through grade school. Some of you are trying to get through high school. Some of you are trying to figure out your career. Some of you are trying to figure out relationships and datings, job, student loans. Some of you are trying to navigate marriage. Some of you are wounded from family breakdowns or rebellious kids. Some of you are struggling with physical setbacks and financial setbacks. And God has and is, loves you right now and will love you to the end of your life. That's just true. He loves you. That's why he says some things. Look at John chapter 14. I want you to look at verse 15. Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then look down at verse 21. He says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then verse 23. Jesus answered Judas, who was not Iscariot, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, look at chapter 15, verse 9. Chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Do you know what that ultimately means? This idea of abiding in the love of Christ? It means actually rehearsing to yourself, living and applying to your everyday life. God loves me. Now, what does that mean? It means then if he loves me, I can trust him. If he loves me, I can go to him. If he loves me, I can look to him. If he loves me, I can run to him. I can be honest in front of him because he knows me. This is the journey we are on. Church, we struggle to love because we honestly don't think about and focus on the love of Jesus for us. That's where our struggle is. This is why we're up and down and up and down. Jesus' love for us shows us who he really is. And that is true of us as well because when you really understand how much Jesus loves you, then, if so facto, you will then start to love others like Jesus loves you, and then those around you will start to say, I don't know what's going on with him, I don't know what's gotten inside of her, but they're acting like Jesus. That's 13, 34, and 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Notice, it's not by your love for Jesus. Which means there can't be just you and Jesus and that's enough. The way we prove that you have a relationship with Jesus is because you live out that relationship with other people. And think of the context of this passage. Jesus is only 12 to 16 hours away from being betrayed by a kiss with Judas Iscariot being abandoned by the 11 men he's talking to right now. In fact, one writer tells us that one guy leaves in such a hurry, he takes off all of his clothes and runs away naked. That's pretty desperate to get away from a situation. Everybody will abandon him. He will suffer in physical ways that I don't think any of us will ever suffer. Yet, he will also suffer the indignity and the reproach of the holiness of Almighty God bring down his holy wrath upon him as jesus pays for all sin past present and future think about what and why john the apostle writes this gospel in the first place john has moved to write this because he's been he's experienced this love So he is desperate as he chooses those seven wonderful signs and those seven I am statements. Because remember when you get to John chapter 20, he tells you, I wrote this down because I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And if you believe that, you will have life in his name. The reason why as Christians we are so easily discouraged, so easily distracted, so easily put off is not because we need more do's and don'ts, it's because you need to know how much Jesus loves you and experience it. And John the Apostle must have gotten it because later when he would write his letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, four different times... John would talk about loving each other. But in John chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him and love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means he was the payment for our sins. And dear friends, John says, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Now watch how he ends. No one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. It almost seems like John must have been there in John chapter 13, 14, and 15. Paul the Apostle got this in a COVID world with masks and vaccines and mandates and passports. It is a shame and a tragedy to see professing Christians arguing and yelling at each other over social media. When Paul said in Romans thirteen eight, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. He told the Thessalonians, And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. Peter said, by obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So I want to ask you once again, How much do you and I think about, meditate on, and apply to the everyday stuff of our lives? Jesus loves me. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I I give you. And it wasn't really a new commandment, was it? Because back in Matthew 22, when this lawyer went to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, quoting Deuteronomy 6. And then he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19. The new part of the love is that now we have a living, breathing example. Jesus Christ. These 11 men had seen and felt and experienced the love of Jesus. So let me ask you, Have you experienced the love of Jesus? When you think about the Bible, what is God trying to tell us anyway? If I wanted to wow you with a big $50 theological term, what is the meta narrative of Scripture? In other words, what's the one big theme from Genesis to Revelation woven all the way? And you got to go all the way back to Genesis to start to figure it out. God created man in his image. He created Adam. And by the way, it was God who said, it is not good for man to be alone. So God created woman, and he brought her to Adam. And then do you remember what happened in in Genesis chapter 2 and 3? Do you remember what Adam said? He said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from me. For those of you that are 40 and 50 and 60, can you almost hear Elephant's Fitzgerald singing? At last. Right? Adam, Adam sees her and goes, yeah. Right? It was, it was love at first sight. All the cliches that you and I think about. You see, because we were made to love, we were made for love. It reflects the Godhead. Friends, listen. Debbie changed the words in that what a beautiful name it is. Very subtle line. I don't know how many of you noticed it. The line used to be, God didn't want heaven without us. And that's not true. That's heresy. We changed it to God could have had heaven without us because that's true. That's theology. God didn't create us because he was lonely and he didn't have anybody to love him. God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They had perfect love and unity. God didn't create us because he was lonely. He created us so that we could glorify him and worship him and enjoy him forever. And so we could know what love is. Was it air supply? I want to know what love is. And the answer is God. This love was so amazing. When Adam first saw Eve, they were naked and had no shame. There was no dirty-mindedness. There was no lust. They truly loved each other. They experienced the love of God in a way that God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit have enjoyed beyond time and description. But it, is only, but it only lasts for a minute, doesn't it seem? Because you very quickly turn to chapter 3, and in no time... Eve is deceived and Adam betrays and they both walked away from the love of God. For what? They wanted something else, someone else to satisfy them. They don't simply want to know God. Now they want to be God. And what happens? They actually turn on each other. You see, their view of the love of God changed So their view and their ability to love each other changed, not for the better, but for the worse. The blame game started. You see, for all the love songs and all the movies and all the shows, all the books and all the poems, beyond all the longings and desires, we struggle with two issues, don't we? Everybody in this room struggles with, I deserve to be loved. And how come I can't find it? because in Adam, we lost ourselves back in that garden. And my friends, this is where you complete me came from. We see Adam and Eve, and we want what they had, love without shame, love with true knowledge, love because we are worth it. But then we wonder, can it be true? Can it really be found? And then we start looking at our lives and our experiences. And then you know what happens? We begin to mistake lust with being in love. We mistake puppy love with romance. And we do messy things because we're messy people and we cry out, why? Why am I like this? In another popular movie, there was two that came out back to back a few years ago about the Apple creator and CEO, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. In the second movie, there was a very poignant scene where it's followed his life and he is estranged from his daughter and they have a massive argument and she goes up to leave and he chases her up on the roof of a building which is a parking garage. And he pleads with her to love him and that he loves her and she looks at him and accusingly says, You've been so successful in business, but yet your life is a tragedy in relationship. And why? Why have you been so selfish? And why have you lied so much? And he says one of the most real, honest, profound things. He looks at his own daughter and he says, I am poorly made. And this is the wrestling match everybody here has. Why did he say that? Because every human being... Our root desire is the longing to be loved and yet we ache because we know it's so hard to love others. We long to be loved. But man, it's going to take a lot of effort if you're going to love somebody else. And you know what it all comes down to? Are you ready for this? I've studied hours for this. Are you ready? Sin. Yours and mine And ours. One man wrote, sin is so comprehensive that it affects our reasoning. So someone offends us and we think vengeance is the proper response. Someone hurts us so we harden ourselves because pride and not vulnerability is considered strong. And is it any wonder that Paul said that we need to renew our minds in the Word of God. Martin Lloyd Jones says, You will never mistake, you will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there's a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves and we can always put up a good case for ourselves. That's the sin. That feeds our mistrust. That's the sin that fuels our misdirected attempts. To get from someone else or something else. What only God can give. For only God can complete you. And you want to know how? Jesus Christ is our examples. When we were sinners. Christ still loved us and died for us. You see, in John chapter 1, we find out that the Word became flesh. In other words, love puts skin on. Jesus is the new Adam, sinless and able to give love perfectly. And know, oh, my friends, Jesus says a lot about love, but if you think about it, he mostly just does it. He must have been a Nike fan. Just love them. Jared Wilson writes this. Jesus loves anyone and everyone. The people you'd expect he should and the people you suspect he wouldn't. He's not asking for anybody's permission. He just freely loves, widely. Jesus loves all the wrong people. People who can offer him nothing. People who cannot love him the way he loves them. Jesus loves people who hate him and he doesn't seem hindered by, at all by their lovelessness, or their unloveliness. He loves them so much, in fact, that he puts himself in their position, stoops to their level, touches their wounds, embraces their pain. He ends up loving so much that he takes their shame, their sin upon himself, on himself, and the condemnation they deserve, he loves all the way to the cross. So let me say a verse that you all know, and let me see if it rings differently this time. For God so loved the world, you, me, and us, that He gave His one and only Son so we could see love in action. That if we would trust in Him, believe in Him, look to Him, run to Him, be identified with Him, as our Savior. If you and I are ever going to love others, we've got to believe in and trust the love of Jesus for us. Put yourself in this situation. You've served a long time on death row in a dark and dusty medieval dungeon. Your execution is imminent. You've rotted in this cell for months. You smell. In fact, you stink. It's been days since you've seen light. You've got no idea how bad you look or smell because you haven't seen yourself in months. Your clothing has long ago turned to filthy rags. Your cell has no washroom. It simply smells of you and your own waste. And then you hear footsteps. You resign yourself to your fate. And the key rattles in the door, and you hear the guards rough breathing. The door comes open to reveal daylight, and your eyes squint, and you kind of cower in the corner, and you hear the guards rough breathing as he says to you, this. And then you put your hands out to be coughed, to be led to your death, and the guard says, Someone has paid your ransom. You're free. And you go, Who? How, what, how, what? Who? Ransom? What ransom? There was a ransom? What was it? Who paid it? And the guard answers, Your ransomer has died in your place. What? Wh- when? When will that happen? And the guard says, it, It's already been done. And so stunned and you shocked, you come up with one more question. You can't hide your awe and wonder and your emotions until you say, how, how, how did he die? And the guard looks at you and he says he died the way he knew he would. He was crucified in your place. Now let me ask us, what's your response to that reality? Because that is every single one of us. Jesus pays the price. Jesus is the price. Jesus paid the debt he didn't owe for captives. You and me who owed a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. But Jesus washed it white as snow. And so, friends, now you see why love is such a massive subject. Why before you'll ever even want or attempt to love as I have loved you is that we need to first and foremost understand, believe in, and trust, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus did write the book of love and is love itself. You're never going to own your sin. You'll never admit your hurts. You'll never be truthful with your doubts. You'll never give up your pride or your defensiveness. You'll never sacrifice and forgive anyone, even yourself, unless you truly believe in and trust Jesus loves me. So you want some things to say this week? How about, Lord, I need you. Lord, I put my hope in your love. Lord, I feel overwhelmed, but you love me. Lord, I have sinned, but you love me. Lord, I can't get past that devastation, that betrayal, but you love me. Lord, I'm so relieved you're there. Thank you for being my Lord, my Savior, my hope. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So don't sit here today or online and think, who can I tell to listen to this sermon so they'll love me? But rather, how much does Jesus love me and how and who can I show that love to? Are you in a marriage out there where you're struggling for love? Rather than saying... Well, I will love my spouse when they love me back. Why don't you rather say, I'm going to love my spouse as Christ loves me? What about a friendship? A brother or a sister, a mom or a dad, a son or a daughter, a pastor or a church member? We love as we follow the example of Jesus' love. We're called to reflect the love of Jesus, but to reflect that love, you have to actually be bathing or basking before that love. In our passage in John chapter 15, Jesus says, abide in that love. Are you struggling with anger and impatience? Are you bitter or resentful? Are you weary and well-doing? Then abide in the love of Jesus. Do you want vengeance? Do you want to get even? Do you want to have somebody pay for what they did to you? Abide in the love of Jesus. Are you scared? Are you confused? Are you hurt? Abide in the love of Jesus. Because that will overcome everything. But if you're going to be set free, if you're going to be changed, if you're going to be set free from the pain of bitterness and revenge, If you don't want to lose that loving feeling, then you have to see just how rotten we are and how much Jesus loves us, gives us everything. And I mean that. He gives us everything. So let us be loving today and thankful today and honest today and then let us see that it's the love of Jesus that's going to fuel our love. It's the love of Jesus that will impact our love towards each other. Oh, and by the way, it's the love of Jesus that will prove to the world that we are actually Christians. And so now I was going to take us all into communion. But I'll simply preface this for having communion next week, Lord willing. I want you to know you cannot participate in communion. You cannot obey Jesus Christ to love him and trust him and not be in Christian community. I've said it before and I'll say it over and over again. There are no Lone Ranger Christians in the body of Christ. We're family. That old song that says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And every family is a mess. Every family has a black sheep. And that weird uncle and that over kissy, touchy, feely aunt who when she kisses you just leaves your face full of gook. Every family goes through stuff. So do Christians. We are not loving and functional by the fact that we do things and have no problems. What makes us known to the world is that when we face problems, we don't stop loving each other. COVID is a reality. Shakespeare is true today like it was hundreds of years ago. To be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated, that is the question. Mandates and passports. And every one of you will be affected by this and has an opinion based on life experience and past and feelings and threats and thresholds. But for goodness sakes, Christians, if we know that Jesus loves us, shouldn't we be the greatest example of patience and long suffering and gentleness and kindness? To speak the truth in love, from love, And for love. And by God's grace, I'll unpack that next week. But may you never forget what Michael Lawrence said. We are saved from God's wrath because of the love of Jesus. By God's grace, because of the love of Jesus. Because of God's love, because he is love into God's people by the love of Jesus for God's glory, for the eternal love of Jesus. Remember that great chapter? I'll read it next week, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. At the end of it, faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Have you ever asked yourself why? Because God never has faith. God never has hope. God doesn't need faith. He doesn't need hope. God is love. You and I have faith. We have hope, which, by the way, are gifts from God to us. But when we love, we are reflecting who God is. So, yes, have faith. Have hope. Oh, but let it be fueled by the example of the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for being love. Thank you for loving us sacrificially and intimately and missionally. Father, I plead with you that if any man or woman is here this morning and they don't really know your love That they will feel safe and even compelled to ask a friend or myself or one of the other elders of this church. Lord, I pray if there are any Christians here who have struggled with a lack of forgiveness or bitterness, a lack of faith, a lack of hope, that they would look to the cross and see the love of Jesus on them and let that fuel their forgiveness. Oh God, could we be a church? that loves you, and because of your love for us, could we be a church that loves each other? So Lord, if there's any here who are tired or weary, scared or lonely, trying to find their place in this world, struggling with shame or guilt, wondering if anybody cares, May they hear once again the words of a loving Savior, Come to me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So God, go before us. May we not quickly forget this sermon, not because I preached it, but because this is a sermon of the love of God based in the word of God. So go before us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.